Fantastic. Give it up for Joel here. I mean, uh, for Steve here. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. You, you know, Steve, did you look at my preaching notes? Because your communion took many of my points. So you can all go home now, right? You basically heard my sermon. Uh, just, uh, just wonderful. Well, I, before I start to preach today, I want to be a shameless, unapologetic salesman. Right? I am going to guilt you into coming to what I'm going to talk about right now. I'm not apologising for that. I am going to tell you straight up. We are opening our Moray Field building on uh, May the 30th, Sunday, May the 30th. The addresses will all be there and all the things. I want to pack that joint out. I, I want it to be packed out. Now, so that we're able to have a full building, we actually have to personally register. Here, we're still only allowed to have half building and, and all of those things. But if we actually register, put, you get an actual seat number and all that, we can fill the building. And I want to fill the building. I want to fill the building that Sunday afternoon because it's a declaration that God is at work. Right? It's a declaration that God is doing something. He's got very little to do about Emerge Church itself and everything to do about the Kingdom of God having another outpost and another embassy where God can do His work. Let me read to you a Scripture. Right? The announcement that's got a Scripture, you know is serious. All right, So Ephesians 3.10 says this, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom. That's what a church does. It displays the wisdom of God in its rich variety. Now we think it's to the to society. We, you know, like we're to the area of Morayfield. We think that it's like, we wanna tell the people of Morayfield that there's a church there. Now listen to what the Bible says. It displays His wisdom not to the people, but to all the unseen rulers and authority in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual uh, dominion over the area of, uh, of Morayfield. And what happens when a church goes into that place, it tells the enemy, the church is here, the Kingdom of God is here, and we are here and we are gonna plunder your place. That's what it is. It's displaying to God. And that's why, sorry, to the unseen rulers and powers and principalities that God is in there. Those people are under a spiritual dominion. And we tell them that, that, that the gates of hell, see the gates are there to, to protect. When you put your gates, you close your gates to protect the invaders. Well, the gates of hell can't stop yeah. what God wants to do in the air of Morayfield. And so that's why I want it to be packed out. You might sit there and never, ever, ever go again to Morayfield. But I want you there on that day. And so what I'm going to do at the end of the service, I'm going to be out there in the foyer myself and I'm going to give you my guiltiest look as you walk past, right? And get your name so that you will be there, right? I am unashamedly going to guilt you into going, right? Because I, I just, it says something to the devil. Here is a full church. This is a church that's going to do something. And what it also does too is for the people of Morayfield, when they pray, they're going to pray having seen already what a full building looks like. They're going to pray like Jacob with his spotted and speckled sheep with something that they can see. I can see this building full. It's not just that I can see it because I've seen it. So please, if you're a member of Emerge Church, if you come to Emerge Church, if you call Emerge Church your home, Please, 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 on May the 30th, four o'clock, be there. We've asked Pastor Matt Hines, uh, the state president of the ACC in Victoria, and you know one of my closest friends, to actually come and preach and be there and bring a word, a word of declaration over that work. You know, it's two years to the day that we started Morayfield. And now we're not just offering a service, we now have a place. And that's what the enemy doesn't like. He doesn't mind a service, but he hates a place. He hates that kind of something in the ground, that stake in the ground that says the church is here. So uh, I'm asking you to go to Morayfield all the time. 
As I say, it may be the one and only time you ever go to Moray Field. But on that Sunday afternoon at four o'clock, I ask that you would be there. There'll be no service that night here. Service that night will be at Moray Field, 4pm. Get behind it. Amen. Fantastic. Let me pray. Father, I ask that as you uh, use me this morning, that it would be your spirit that speaks to people, oh God. I'm going to say words, but I want you to empower those words. I want you to empower those thoughts. I want you to empower those concepts, oh Lord, so that someone hears from you this morning, not just words that I say. Father, let us hear your words. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this morning we're going to continue our series in Live because our theme for this year is? Well done. And so today we're going to talk about live with an attitude that obstacles are there for your growth, right? Every year we're going to face obstacles. When I brought it as part of my Vision Sunday message, I'll read to you the words that I used when I looked at this particular topic. I said this, obstacles will come, problems will strike, disappointments will happen, setbacks will occur and unfairness will visit you. But they don't need to stop you from living. See them as a growth vehicle for yourself. The more obstacles that you overcome this year, the more you will grow. And how you see the obstacles that come to you this year will determine how much they affect your life. Obstacles happen. Obstacles come. Obstacles appear. Have you ever frustratedly just said to yourself, why can't things just be easy? Right? Why, why does everything have to be hard? This is just a simple thing that I'm doing and yet it's complicated and you just get frustrated. Something that should be easy is just hard. You, you get this new TV. You're so excited to get this TV. You put it up there and then it won't connect to your internet at home. Right? And it's like, oh, come on, right? It's all this thing and it's just frustrating. It should be insty, but it isn't. You know, one of the worst moments of, uh, and I'm being honest here today, I'm sure no one else has ever had anything like this. But this is one of my worst moments in, in, in our marriage. It was early on in our marriage. And I wanted to print something at home, right? Now, printers have all got their personal demons, I'm certain of it, right? And I wanted to print something at home and it just wouldn't work. And I'm getting madder and madder and madder at a printer, right? I get so mad, I pick up the cartridge and I fling it, fling it at the wall. Immediate remorse, right? As there is ink all over the wall, all over the carpet, and my wife is totally knowing that she's married a psycho, right? Yeah, there are obstacles. And uh, they're, but but they're, they're not really the type of obstacles that I am wanting to address today. A, a broken printer or a TV that won't work. If, if they're the worst obstacle you face this year, you've had the best year ever, right? You, that, that is just a, a great year. But, uh, if, if, but to be honest, if they're the things that are sending you over the edge all the time, then you need to do what I did. You need to man up and just show some self-control, right? You just need to do that. If flying over... A handle of little things are that are essentially nothing. If if that's your reality all the time, then you need to engage some of the fruit of the spirit, and you need to gain custody of yourself. Don't write it off as your personality. Don't write it off as something that God understands or will forgive you for. He will, but like, don't be just like a little kid having a temper tantrum. I don't, I, I can be strong about this today because that was me. Right, I was a little kid having a temper tantrum over something that was little, essentially not important, and yet I was just getting totally uptight about it, and I had to teach myself self-control. God doesn't want to control me. He gives me the Spirit of God so that I can learn to control myself. So if you're having that person that's just having these little temper tantrums over little things because you couldn't get the top of this water, and why didn't they do this water properly, and, and, and all of that, well then, get some self-control. Right? And be nice to people. And I want to tell you, right? It just makes your whole life a whole lot easier. You can control it. Some people say, I just fly off the handle. I just got no control over it. No, you have. It may take you two seconds or three seconds, but you take that moment to think, 
right? And that. And the Bible tells us there's a way out of uh, every temptation. So that's just, uh, it's not nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought I'd say that. And uh, it's probably just back to me. All right. In my devotions at the moment, I'm reading Job. And so I'm going through the book of Job very slowly, just kind of like looking at it all. And it's a magnificent book. Many people believe it's the very first book written of the Bible. And, uh, and I'm looking at it and, and really many times it's giving me more questions and answers as I look at what I'm reading. And, and I love it. But Job is a man who went through a whole year of obstacles, right? There, nothing went right for Job. He was a man who had a great life, everything going for him, all these things, and then his life just went bad. He lost everything, his children, he lost his health, he lost all his uh, finance, he lost all his possessions. He just became an object of scorn. And it says that he sat like basically in a rubbish dump and uh, he'd have all these sores over him and he'd just scrape his sores from the pus that he was in. He was just in pain all the time. It was a horrible year. Now, I promise you, and I prophesy right now, no one this year is going to go through what Job went through, all right? But Job went through some setbacks. And this year, we are going to go through some setbacks. There's going to be failures of our own self, and there's going to be failures where others have failed us. There's going to be injustices, and there's going to be truths. Now, this is what I feel. What do I mean by truths? Truths are this. It's where you realise that what you dreamed of or thought was going to be your lot in life isn't going to come to pass. That maybe you set the bar a little high. Essentially is the basis, that thought, essentially the basis of all midlife crises. You realise that some of the goals that you had set some of the self-expectations that you had aren't going to come to pass. You worked very hard learning in your 20s. You worked very hard doing in your 30s. And now in your 40s and 50s, you realise that some younger people are doing some of the things that you hoped that you'd be doing. You know, I remember years ago, I'd go to all these Youth Alive events. I'd go to all these youth seminars and, and youth leader seminars. Essentially, I was invited only because my friends were the ones running them. And I remember being one time in a meeting. I was in my 40s and Pastor Glenn Berteau was speaking to all these 20-year-olds and, and all of this. And it was there I realised that the things that I thought maybe were going to be for me weren't going to be for me. If that they were going to be for me, I would already have achieved some of those things and that now they were going to be for a younger person. It's, they say what you do in your 40s to 50s is what you'll be known for in your life. Right? So I was a pastor in my 40s to 50s in life and when, they, when my time is done, when people look at my life, they'll know he was Pastor Mark. That'll be the kind of thing of what the, the identifier of my life. But in that meeting and at that place, I had to take stock. I had to make my peace with that. And your ability to make peace with the truths of life will go a long way to helping you deal with your midlife crisis. I made my peace with the fact that I was a pastor. I wasn't going to be an international evangelist. I wasn't going to be a mega church pastor or many of the things that my 20, 30-year-old self thought was going to happen to my life. And for some reason at that time, I thought were really amazing and would somehow make me more valuable to God. It's funny when you look back with the area of hindsight, how silly some of your thoughts were when you were young. I had to make my peace with the fact that God's perfect plan for me was still perfect for me. And you know, now that I'm almost 60, I hate saying that, right? Now that I'm almost 60, I don't have any regrets. I don't look back and say, I should have, I would have, I could have, I, I missed this. I no, I've lived the life that God has had planned for me and I truly have no regret. Look at this verse in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 18. Even so, I notice one thing at least, that it is good. It is good for people to eat, to drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life that God has given them. 
and to accept their lot in life. That's what it's saying, to accept the truths of some of the things that go on. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work, and once again, accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. And then I love this promise, one of the best promises of the Word of God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they have no time to brood over the past. If you're able to accept the goodness of God in your circumstance now, rather than dwell on the past, what could be, what should be, what might be, and all of those things, you actually place yourself in a place where you can actually enjoy the life that you're living right now. When I was about 22, 23 years old, I would be filling bags at Woolworths. I was getting trolleys out of the car park. I was filling shelves at Woolworths. I felt I had something of God on my life. I felt that there was a call of God on my life. But I clearly said to God, God, if this is what you want me to do the rest of my life, that I just fill bags, get trolleys, fill shelves, then that's what I'll do and I'll happily do it. You know, at that time, for me to become a pastor was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous thought. It was something that could never happen. It was so foolish to think that Mark Elmendorp could actually ever be a pastor. It could never happen. And I remember many years later when I was a pastor, when I was far greater and had seen things happen in my life, far greater than I could ever ask for or expect. I was a living example of that Ephesian Scripture. And yet I started to complain. I started to sit there and go, but this isn't right and, and this isn't fair and, and this couldn't be. And because I wouldn't allow myself to be happy with where I was, I lived in regret and I stopped enjoying life. And there is a truth in Babel to accept, okay, God, I'm here. I'll learn what I need to do. I think I could do better. I think that there's something else, but I'm happy to stand here and learn here and be here until you bring about some change. You'll be so busy enjoying the now that you get and forget all about the past. Now back to Job. Some obstacles are huge, huge. There's no getting around them. Applying self-control isn't going to cut it. Accepting that that's just your lot in life and making peace with it and who you are isn't actually going to help. You're in an immediate crisis right now and it needs fixing. You know, I spoke to a pastor friend of mine this week, and right now he is in the midst of a Job-like experience. Many years ago, he started a church from his lounge room. And over the last 20 years, the church has really grown and is a significant church. It's got many people to attend the church. He's got many buildings, and it's something that, out of his prayer and call and hard work and commitment over the years has seen built something of significance, something that's wonderful. For all intensive purposes, he is a very successful pastor. But his marriage had always been difficult. And then one day, his wife just leaves. There's no third parties, there's no violence, but everything became too much for her and she just left. He was obviously devastated. He's distraught. And his reaction was to immediately resign as a senior pastor of the church and pursue restoring his marriage. And on the face of it, that seems a good and understandable decision, right? To go and pursue and restore his marriage. But it's years later now, and the marriage hasn't been restored. The church has moved on. And there's another pastor now pastoring the very church that he uh, had pastored and, and, and put all his efforts and love into. And, and now he, he, he's not even really welcome in that church anymore. He feels let down by God. He feels let down by his wife. He feels let down by the church that he pastored. He feels let down by the movement that he's in and he feels let down by friends, in the ministry. Like Job, he feels alone. He feels abandoned. And you know, like Job, he probably has a reason to feel like that. 
We can't sit there and go, well, just come on, trust God. Come on, you'll be right. It's real. It is a real thing. He has a reason to feel abandoned. He has a reason to be upset. And there are gonna be things that you're gonna go through this year where you have a reason. It's real, it's not fake, it's not made up. If you get your sack from your job, if, if someone that you love dies, if, if your marriage breaks up, if, if, if something happens like that, you have a reason to be upset. And to sit down and make out that somehow is spiritual to make out that you're not upset or that it's spiritual somehow to think that it's not bad and, and they should just be praising and you shouldn't be able to have a disappointing time. That's not reality. You go through a time. And the longer that it goes on, the harder and the more difficult that it gets. You know, Job felt ripped off. This guy feels ripped off. And he's fighting the battle that everyone has to face when we go through something like that. We have choices. That's all we have. We have three choices. And depending on what choice you make depends on how long and how bad and how sad this thing is going to be. All right, so first choice number one is that he can become a victim. Woe is me. It's not fair. I've done nothing wrong. I'm all alone. I'll never be happy again. Right? It's, it's, it's real. And, and you will definitely, all of us, when you go through something like that, will go through some of those things. It, it's, it's real. And all the other things that victims say. And in one way, Job's right. One way, my friend is right. He is a victim. He hasn't done anything wrong. Job hadn't done anything wrong. It hadn't been fair, but he can't live there. I always look at it like this. Some circumstances put you in a suburb, but you're the one who chooses whether you're going to build a house there. Right? You can move on from that suburb, but sometimes you're going to just be in that suburb and it's not your fault, but you don't have to live there. You can't stop there. See, for Job to move on, for this, my friend, to move on, for his life to mean something again, he has to move on. He has to accept that this is his new reality. This is his reality. This is how he's got to live life with this new set of circumstances. It's unhoped for. It's not what he wanted. It's not what he prayed for. It's not all the things that he had expected. But now it's the truth of his circumstances. And he has to know that when God called him and when God gave him his dreams and when God spoke to him in his heart, God did so knowing that those circumstances are gonna come. When God gives you a word, He's not saying the absence of bad times, but He gives you that word, that faith, that thing that He's put in your heart, knowing that that setback, that failure and all of those things are gonna happen. It doesn't change the Word of God. The circumstance does not change the Word of God. If God has put purpose and life and dreams in your heart, God has done that for a reason. So this guy and Job, they can give up and be forever known and defined by what happened to him. Or he can move on and take the cerebral circumstances that befell him and make him a better person. To learn the lessons of what he's gone through and find, as the Bible calls, the treasures of darkness. Even in your darkest moments, God is able to find some treasure. God is able to bring something that sparkles in the midst of the darkest circumstances of your life. The worst times of your life can actually become some of the best teaching moments of your life. When we moved to Brisbane, Nina went through a difficult and dark time, right? And over a period of years, she worked herself and made her and got out of that. But out of that great time, or out of that terrible time, much of her great preaching and much of her ability to really have compassion for other people come out of that. She went through that suburb, but she didn't build a house there and she moved on. And now she can take the lessons of what she learned and help and guide and bless and help other people. Look at this. 1 Peter 2 verse 20. I like this verse. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? 
But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Not sitting in victimhood gains you credit in heaven. I like it. I like the thought of it. It's almost like a bank account. The more I patiently endure, endure the unfairness and the suffering that happens to me, the more credit I build up in the bank of heaven. And Jesus is our greatest example. There was nothing fair about what Jesus went through. Yet he endured it all for us. And in that was great credit. We are the balance in a sense of God's credit. And there was a great payoff in heaven because all of us are now gonna be in heaven with Jesus. So choice number one is to become a victim. Bad choice. All right, choice number two is to become bitter. And for my friend, this is really his choice. He's not gonna become a victim. The reason is he's got too much drive and energy. But he's got to be careful not to use that drive and energy to channel his real and legitimate feelings into bitterness and uncontrolled anger. You know, to to make people pay. They should pay for what they've done to me. To make people realise they've let him down. To make people feel the same pain that he's feeling. It's all natural and normal reactions. Someone hurts you, I want to hurt them back. If they've hurt you, you want them to know how much they've hurt you, how disappointed you are. You want them to to feel that because it's not fair. It's not fair. It's a natural reaction. It's an understandable reaction, but it is of no redemptive value. Nothing good can come out of it. You can't pick something out of it and make something good. That's what redemption is. I can take something out of the bad and I can bring something good out of it. That's the story of the gospel, that no matter what it is that's happened in your life, Jesus can come in and bring something good out of even the worst things of your life. That's redemption. That's the story of the gospel. And it's of no redemptive value because what it does that bitterness, that, that wanting revenge, that wanting other people to, to feel what it is that you hear, what it does is it constantly steals from you. It's exhausting. It never adds to you. Bitterness is an inexhaustible pit and it leaves you feeling exhausted and it leaves you feeling empty. And what happens, the ability to actually get out of your circumstance is being stolen away by that bitterness, that energy and that drive that can actually point you to something that's gonna help you and is of redemptive value, get stolen away because you spend all that drive and energy trying to show others what it is that they should know. You know, Job has these friends and they come and they endeavour to help him. But they're of no help to Job in all. To be honest, in all of their attempts to bring comfort, all they end up doing is telling Job where he went wrong. This is your fault, buddy. You should have done this. You shouldn't have done that. You've done this. You must have done that. Some of the stuff that they accuse Job of is just ridiculous. They make it up. They make it up. And really their comfort is trying to say, you're wrong. You're bad. And they're of no comfort. And so it even adds kind of more trouble, his friends trying to comfort them. Now, their comfort is actually judgment. They say all these nice things, but in the midst of what Job's going through, it's of no comfort. And their judgments are actually making it harder for Job. They feel the need, and this is where we got to be, when someone is going through a tough time, and maybe we haven't got the answers to why they're going through that tough time. And we can feel the need. And as a pastor, I have, to, I have to fight this all the time, right? They feel the need to try and work out and tell Job why he's going through it. And to be honest, in one way, that does make sense. If I can show you why you're going through something, that may help you not have to go through it again. And so we think that by showing you why, that's going to be helpful. 
But many times in showing your why, all you're really doing is bringing judgment to that person, making it even harder for them. And that's what their friends are trying to do. They're, they're trying to, to, to help. Job, why are you going through this? You know, sometimes I really got to realise that maybe I could just listen. Maybe I can just support. Maybe I can just go, they're there. Maybe it's not my job to have to get them out of that pit. Maybe it's not my role to have to bring them out of that because I can't do it anyway. Right? If I'm trying to pull someone down, if I'm trying to pull Steve up to here, it's much easier for him to pull me down. You understand? And so sometimes just by going there, there, I understand. I'm with you. I'll pray for you. I'll help you. I'm not going to bring judgment. I'm not going to tell you the three things you should have done. I'm not going to tell you the four things you can do. I'm just going to go there, there. I'm going to bring some consolation. I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. I think the Holy Spirit comes upon us in those times and just brings comfort and says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We want to get them out. We want them to feel better. Their morass, their, their depression, their sadness, it makes it hard for us, makes us feel uncomfortable. So we just want to kind of like change it and fix it. Where sometimes they just got to go through it and you just got to go there, there. I'm with you. I'll pray for you. You know, many times when I listen to someone tell me the story of their marriage breakup, I listen to them and they tell me the story of what happened. I'd see them a week, two weeks later and they tell me the story again of what happened. And then I see them a week later and they tell me again the story of what happened. I didn't say, oh, mate, you've told me three times. I know what's going on. No, they just needed to say it again. They just needed to tell it again. And just in telling it again, just in saying it again, there came comfort, there came relief, there came some measure of consolation. Knowing why, most times, doesn't change it. Right? Knowing why someone died, knowing why you lost this thing, knowing why doesn't actually change the fact that you have. Right? Knowing why someone died early or, or someone was taken out of your life at a particular time, it doesn't actually change that they are gone. You have to live in your new reality. In time to come, knowing why might help so you don't make those same mistakes again. But in the midst of your trouble, in the dark night of your soul, what you need from people, and this is what we need to give people, is love, comfort, support, care, and understanding without judgment. You're allowed to feel bad. You're allowed to have a bit of a whinge. You're allowed to have a bit of a rant. And if you're going through a time, don't rant to everyone. Find two or three people that have your best and rant to them. Tell them what's going on. God will bring you. You know, the Bible tells us that there is a friend that's born for the day of adversity. There's someone out there that you can, going to get love and comfort, support, care and understanding from. One way not to become bitter is that in the midst of your circumstance, don't look at what other people seem to have or not have. It's a natural human reaction to create your own narrative about what everyone else is going through. Everyone else, everyone but me, everyone, all of them, they have something happen, but it doesn't happen for me. It's a human reaction to create a false reality. Listen to Job. This is his words. Why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, they become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bulls breed without failure. Their cows, cows calves without miscarriage. That's hard to say. They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Yet they say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Because of his misery, because of his level of pain, Job creates a false reality. The wicked prosper. 
Nothing bad happens to people who are way worse than I am. Right? God doesn't punish them. Look at their families. Their families are amazing and their jobs are fantastic. They've got so much money. You know, they're not even Christians. <laughs> Look at that. They're not even a Christian. I pray it doesn't even work anyway. In the midst of your trouble, it's easy to find that. In the midst of your trouble, it's, it's, it's easy to see that. Obstacles, if you let them, will control your narrative, will control, right? And you must be diligent to guard your heart and you must be diligent, right? And when I say diligent, it means put actual action into praising God. That is the only way out of it, to be thankful and to find something to praise God for. Be thankful in all circumstances, the Bible says. Even the worst of circumstances, find something to be thankful for that lifts your head into heaven rather than downcast your soul into the midst of all of your problems. It's the garment of praise. And it's not a garment of praise because you've got to put it on. It doesn't just come on. I, you know, I didn't just wake up with this shirt on, even though it may look like that way, right? <laughs> right? I had to put it on. The garment of praise, you got to put it on. It's a choice you make. It's a choice that you make. And that wards off the spirit of heaviness. So guard your thoughts and monitor your words. Bitterness is actually unresolved anger. And anger hurts you if not dealt with properly. You're going to get angry. You know, the, the, don't make, I'm so, so spiritual, I never get angry. Liar, right? You're making me angry just saying that. No, right? Like, but what happens is that anger kind of affects you. You know when it turns into bitterness, when it affects other people. Well, you've got to tell this person, you've got to tell that person, you've got to tell the neighbour, you've got to tell the guy at the dog park, you've got to tell the, your hairdresser, you've got to tell your, everyone. It's just because it's just so unfair what it is that's, that's happened to me. Right? You, your Bible says a root of bitterness defiles many. Anger hurts you. Bitterness hurts those around you. God gives us ways to deal with bitterness and anger. Forgiveness. Honest prayer. You know, if you want to have a whinge, whinge to God. He's the best person to whinge to. Tell him what you actually think because he knows what you actually think anyway. Right? He doesn't, you haven't got this little dark corner of your brain where you can say these things about God that he can't hear. He knows what you're saying. All right? He knows what it is. So tell him anyway. So forgiveness, honest prayer, and thanksgiving. And if you don't consistently put those into action day by day, God, give me this day, my daily bread. If you don't consistently put those things into actions, you run the risk of allowing bitterness to rule you. Now, I want to go right to the end of the story of Job. And we're going to look at Job's restoration to show you the power of this. So this is right at the end, Job 42, the last chapter. From verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to, and these are his three friends, the three friends who were trying to help him, right? He said, said to Eliphaz the, the termite, no, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my Job, servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job. Not to me. Go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now listen to this. Look at the last words. And the Lord restored the fortunes. I'll put that back, sorry. I'll read it here. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. He put bitterness aside because he was able to pray for his friends. When he had allowed forgiveness to do his work, God then restores everything to him. 
And you know that you have overcome bitterness when you can pray in your heart for those who have hurt you, for those who have come against you, for those who have lied about you, for those who have sought to bring you down, for those that don't like you, you're able to pray for them. Then you know that bitterness is gone. And then you know that God can now do His work. What it is, is you are 100% responsible for the 50%. What someone else did to you, you're not responsible for, but you are responsible for your heart and your attitude. And Jesus said, don't be the one who's looking for revenge. Don't say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but rather say, and I love this, pray for your enemies. That's how you can tell where bitterness is in your heart. Can you pray for your enemies? And it's a discipline that you have to do. And it's not easy because you start praying for them. God, I pray they have a car accident. Right, I pray that uh, something happened. I pray, right? That's how you start. And that's not what God's asking us to do, by the way, right? And then because you, you do it, you know, I, I, this is myself, right? Someone hurts me, someone does something to me, I get all mad. And then the, moment, the next time I'm in prayer, the next time I do my devotions, God just says, you need to sort it out. And so I, I start going, God, but I don't want to pray for them. They're idiots and you know they're idiots and, and like they're obviously idiots and I'm not wrong anyway, I'm right. And, and, and you fight, I don't know about you, I fight with God. I'm, I fight less now because he always wins, right? So, so I just kind of, all right, I'll just start praying for him. And I pray for him at the beginning because I have to, literally because I have to. There's no emotion in it. I don't feel anything for them. I, I don't want them to be blessed. I just want to be right, right? And, and, and I just, and I pray, and, but I do it. And then all of a sudden, I, I pray, God, bless their family. God, bless their health. Bless the, don't, I don't pray, God, let them see that I'm right. Let them see. No, I, I pray blessing upon them. And I want to say that eventually, right? And I'm getting quicker and better now, Right? But you get to a place where you actually start to pray blessing over them. You actually start to pray the love of God into their lives. And you actually do it. And you may have to do it again the next day. And you may have to do it again and again. But let me tell you, it frees you. It frees you and allows God to do what he wants to do. Job's restoration didn't come until he fully forgave. And forgiveness is the key to overcome Bitterness. The third choice, first choice is to become a victim, bad choice. Second choice is to get bitter, that's number two, bad choice. Third choice is number three, and I want the musicians to come, is the good choice. The third choice is to find God. Find God in the midst of what it is that you're going through. But it's not always easy. It is not always easy. Sometimes it's hard to find God. Listen. So what Job had to say. Job 23, verse 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. If I can only find God in this. Where the heck is God in this? How can God be in this? Those people are idiots. I haven't got enough money. I'm sick. Where's God? I can't find God in any of this. Oh, that I might come to where he is. I might come even to his seat. And it's not like Job isn't trying. Listen to what he says. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. I go backward. No, I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he's working, oh, I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand. I do not see him. Job's going backward, forward. He's going up and down. He's looking on the left. He's looking on the right. Where the heck is God? Where the heck is God? And in verse 10, this is the key to this whole sermon. Verse 10. You just remember this one verse. It's pretty easy. It's only eight words. But he knows the way I take. You may not be able to find God in the midst of your circumstance. You may wonder where God is. You may feel completely abandoned. But take faith this morning that God knows where you are. 
God knows your circumstance. You may feel alone. You may feel abandoned. You may feel forsaken. But God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So you need to find God. And so you keep looking and you keep asking and you keep seeking because when you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be opened. When you ask, you will be answered. So ask, seek and knock and God will come through. And the thing is, this is the brilliance of God. What comforts me doesn't comfort you. If I look at some of the horrible circumstances of my life, some of the things that went on, if I were to tell you what it was that comforted me in that time, you would sit down and go, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. But for me, I found God in that answer. See, that's the thing, is that God relates to us all on a personal level. Doesn't relate to us in all the big stuff. You know, in Mark 4, it talks about Jesus. It says, without a parable, he did not speak to them. But when he was alone with them, he explained to them all things. See, life's like a parable. This sermon today is a bit, I can understand that a bit. And there's something you read and a podcast you listen to and a coffee that you caught up with someone and, and all of these things. And you kind of get the gist of what it is that God is saying. I kind of, I understand the kind of, what that parable is meaning. But it's when you're alone. It's when you hear that voice of the Lord and you know that He is with you. When you know that, that, that He knows the way that you take. That God is not unaware. That God is not in the distance. But that God is right there, close to you. Walking like, like he was with those guys on the road to us, didn't understand, didn't have a clue, just distraught with what has gone on. And then in the communion, as God, Jesus has communion with them. A revelation. Didn't our hearts burn? Right? Like, like that's what happens. So just ask God. That's the key. That terrible thing, that horrible thing, ask God. Don't be a victim. Don't become bitter. Find God. Find God. He's there. He knows what it is that you're going through. You need to hear from God Himself. You don't need the latest principles. You don't need the latest theories. You don't need others. You need God. Job eventually hears from God. Some of what God says to him, he doesn't like. Right? I must admit, some of the things that God says to me, I don't like, right? I don't like. He's allowed to tell me some of the things that other people want to, right? But it was the voice of God. It was in the Word of God that understanding came. It was in the voice of God that resilience was built. His adversity quotient was exhorted. God knows the way that you take. He knows your ways. God knows that that very thing that you thought was going to bring you down, the very thing that was going to bring you down becomes the very thing that brings you out. And it's in knowing God that you find the way out. You're never alone. You're never abandoned. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He knows the way that you take. Maybe with every eye closed right now and every head bowed. I want to pray that you, if you don't know God this morning, you're not a Christian. If you don't know God, you are actually alone. You have to have the wherewithal and the smarts and the psychological ability to kind of like get through. Because you have to make up your own narrative. You have to make up what it is that, that, that it is that you're going through. But with God, you have His Word. With God, you have His Holy Spirit. With God, you have someone who does actually know you and your circumstance perfectly. So if you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to know Jesus, 
You want Him to walk with you in the midst of your obstacles, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your problems. Can you just raise your hand? I'd just love to pray for you. Anyone at all as I just look over? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Anyone at all? Fantastic. Keep your eyes closed because I don't want to identify anyone here. Just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. I want to pray for those right now who are having trouble seeing God in the midst of their circumstance. You don't know where God's. I've tried this, I've tried that. I don't know where God is. How could God be in this? And you need to see God in it. You need to hear the voice of God in it. Can you just raise your hand? Not every eye closed. Just head bowed. You raise your hands. Many hands. Father, answer them. Answer them, O God. Answer them, O Lord. Let them see your smile again. Let them hear your voice. Let it bring comfort. Let it bring consolation. Let it bring energy. Let it bring drive. Let that sense of hopelessness be driven far away. In the name of Jesus, oh God. Yes, it's an obstacle. And Father, I pray that with that Word, with that Word, faith would come. And they'd be able to say to this mountain, this obstacle, be thou removed and be plucked up and cast into the sea. They'd be free of it, oh God. They may have to go through some stuff, but Father Lord, it's gonna be a walk of revelation, a walk of faith. Father, I pray right now, let them hear your words to them. Not the words to the church, not the words to their neighbour, not the words to their husband or their wife or their kid, but the word to them. This week, speak. This week, speak. This week, speak. And bring comfort and consolation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.